welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode. I'm so glad you're joining me. Hey, I want to take a minute before we get started and invite you to head over to our socials, Facebook and Instagram, follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights all of our ministries, including this podcast, our blog called Planted, our mom-to-mom ministry specifically designed to encourage mothers, and our Regarding Him conference that happens yearly in March. There is so much good content you are not going to want to miss, so follow today. That will be in our show notes each and every week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out and it also helps you out because you get notifications of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. Hey, you can also reach out to us at unshakenpsalm 622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you ever have any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about an episode, or maybe you might just want to tell me about an episode that was encouraging or challenging to you. Finally, as you know, Unshaken is a podcast for women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Today's episode is number 117, and it is called Freedom in Forgiveness. Well, here in Northwest Ohio, we are just finishing up a wonderful summer full of great activities. And one of the favorite activities is a place called Cedar Point. Maybe you've been there. Cedar Point is a 364-acre amusement park located on Lake Erie Peninsula in Sandusky, Ohio. It opened in 1870 and is considered the second oldest operating amusement park in the United States. It is known for its amazing roller coasters. It features 16 roller coasters, with five of these roller coasters being at least 200 feet in height. It's an amazing place if you love to ride roller coasters. But if you are not a roller coaster fan, it can be really a drag. You could begin to feel trapped or imprisoned as you were sitting and buckled in your seatbelt and beginning the torturous climb up that first hill. And then the process of hearing that chink, chink, chink as you begin to fall over the top of the first hill until the momentum of the back half of the roller coaster takes over and you begin flying along the track. Today we're going to listen to a pre recorded talk about actually something similar, not roller coasters, of course. We're going to talk about forgiveness and how unforgiveness actually is a little bit like being trapped inside of a roller coaster that you didn't want to ride in the first place. Wendy Folk is going to walk us through how you and I can find freedom in forgiveness. We might even get to hear her tale of a treacherous roller coaster ride. Hey, let's jump right in. All right. Well, I, I think we can go ahead and, Sharon, I don't know if you want to close the door. If, if there's no one else coming, I'll go ahead and get started. Well, welcome to Freedom Through Forgiveness. Does everybody have a handout? You're going to need the handout. Okay. Um, so I appreciate you guys coming to this conference today. I hope you're enjoying it already. And good, good. I'm glad you're here. And um, I especially thank you for coming um, to this breakout session on um, forgiveness. As, as I think about the the four different breakout sessions that we have available today, I think that forgiveness is kind of the touchiest issue because if you think about the times that we've had to forgive somebody or that somebody's had to forgive us, there's usually a whole lot of hurt involved, isn't there? Maybe some anger, some bitterness 
that probably is, is, is going along with all of that. And so um, you guys are the most bravest, vulnerable souls here because you chose to come to the most emotional breakout session. And I have Kleenexes. So it is, it is a touchy issue. And I do appreciate you guys coming because I think that most of us like to run away from that sort of thing. And so we're going to get vulnerable here, but I probably won't make you share, except for that troublemaker over there. So. <laughs> All right. So um, I, I definitely have, have felt those um, uncomfortable emotions, uh, to say the least, when I've had, a, I've had to forgive someone or um, I've been hurt by somebody else. And uh, sometimes it gets so bad that I feel like it's strangling the life out of me and sucking the joy out of my, my life. And so that is why, if you look at your paper, I've subtitled uh, for Freedom Through Forgiveness, um, Breaking Away from Our Oppressors. You know, forgiveness, forgiving others, and knowing that freedom um, is, knowing that we have been forgiven is a powerful freedom. And uh, there have been times in my life when I've questioned, am I really forgiven by God for all of those sins that I've done and that I continue to do? Am I really forgiven? And, and I have been um, just kind of paralyzed by that guilt. And, and there have been other times when I've been so hurt by other people, and I just feel so much in bondage, you know, from the bitterness that goes along with that. And so I want to ask you guys as we start off today, do you know the freedom through forgiveness? And do you know who or what your oppressors may be? And so I hope that during this breakout session that we'll identify these things. We'll identify what is oppressing us, what is keeping us from that freedom through forgiveness. So let's begin by praying for that right now. All right, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these women who have come to this session. Lord, there is much freedom to be had through forgiving others and being forgiven by them. And so I, I lift this up to you, and I pray that your power is, is what is at work here today. Speak through my words, Lord. May they be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh at this first um, illustration because one of my high school classmates is here today. So I don't know, Chris, if you were there, if we were hanging out, or if you remember this, but I'm going to share the story about when I went on the senior class trip. And first of all, when you all were in high school, did you go on senior class trips? Did anybody go on one? Anywhere fun? Where? New York City. New York City. <laughs> we didn't go there. Where, where else did you go? Chicago. Okay, these are great places. We went to Cedar Point. Okay, and I was not a fan. Did you go on that trip? Okay, you were smart because I went, and I was not a fan of roller coasters, but I got there, and um, you know, I was hanging out with my friends, and you know that delicious red pop they have there? Like, it's only good there. Okay, but it costs like $10 a cup. But I was drinking it and having a good time. Then, all of a sudden, my math teacher, who was one of the chaperones, okay, this man, he was the athletic director. He was a big guy. You can ask Chris right here, who went to high school with me. He's a big guy. He's kind of imposing. I don't know, 6'5", 250. I don't, maybe he was 508 feet tall. I don't know. He seemed big at the time, right? So he got wind of my distaste for roller coasters. And so he, he sniffed me out like a dog sniffing out fear, right? He found me in that amusement park, and I need a volunteer. Is somebody willing to be a volunteer? 
Can I walk away from this? Come on up, Chris. And so, yes, so our math teacher comes up behind me and he, and he, and he does this to me. And he pushes me through the Gemini line like this, up until the point where I am, I'm, thank you, where I am safely seatbelted into the Gemini ride, and then I go on the ride. Well, I am quite positive that he thought that was pretty funny that day, but obviously I did not think it was so hilarious. And, um, but I want to tell you guys that even though I hated riding the Gemini, um, the worst part was feeling like a prisoner. You know, he had completely um, capti- captured me, and, and I felt completely oppressed. I was unable to do anything to get out of that. And that's what I hated. And, you know, he was a big guy. He, it was very obvious that day who my oppressor was. But we may be, all of us, held captive by oppressors, too. And they may be more subtle. In fact, some of us may not even know what exactly is oppressing us. Um, but when we realize what kind of bondage there is from bitterness, from anger, from holding on to old grudges, from resentment, taking offense, and just nursing our hurts, then we can seek the freedom through forgiveness. So forgiveness is a familiar idea to people from all different backgrounds, right? I don't really think I need to define it quite so much because you hear about forgiveness everywhere. Forgiveness is generally perceived as a good thing. All right, you've got people that are Christians who think it's a good thing, people who are atheists who think it's a good thing, maybe self-help gurus or the church, and even Hollywood or the girl next door. We all know forgiveness, and we all think it's a pretty good thing. The problem, though, is that forgiveness has different meanings for all of those people. And so for the purpose of today, I want us to get all on the same page, and I want us to... Um, to learn more about biblical forgiveness. And in order to do that, I'm going to contrast the world's ideas about forgiveness with God's word. And I hope that we can see the benefit of following God's perfect truth and that we would live as women of the word who are victorious over our oppressors. So as you can look at your handout, I'm going to be talking about five key aspects of forgiveness today. And um, follow along. If you are like me and you like to have every blank filled out, rest assured, you will. All right? So we'll make sure that every one of those pesky little blanks are filled in. So let's just get started. Forgiveness point number one. Bitterness only poisons me. This is what the world says. Bitterness only poisons me. I just need to let go. All right, and of course, you know what? This is true. I don't disagree with that. But I do want us to wash God's word over this idea and allow his infallible, authoritative, and all-sufficient truth to guide us into a deeper and eternal and more biblical view of forgiveness. So with this first point, can you hear me okay? Okay, so with this first point, while it's true that the world says that bitterness poisons us, Can you look at your underlying words and tell me what the focus of the world's view is? Yes, me. All right, so the motivation to forgive, according to many self-help people, many psychologists, is so that I can be helped, so that I can be improved. In fact, I was just listening to uh, a woman um, who is a, a very popular women's ministry person, and she was saying that very thing. It's even in the church. 
I would like to suggest, though, that God's word would say over and over again that it's not all about me. Right? So here's a familiar verse, a couple of familiar verses for you. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. And Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So there are wonderful benefits, even in the here and now, uh, when we forgive. But I want to view... Um, I want to view forgiveness more from God's perspective so that we can have a long-lasting victory over our oppressors. Um, Without the supernatural perspective, I just can't muster up enough love or muster up enough forgiveness um, for someone who has hurt me, right? I mean, I can't do that for long anyways or for real. Now, some of you may be familiar with the Westminster Catechism. Um, It is actually a a group of questions and answers that our early church fathers uh, created years ago, many years ago. And um, the very first question is perhaps a question that we could even call, what is the meaning of life? The very first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that our church fathers uh, derived is based on uh, several aspects of the Psalms, several Psalms. And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So everything is all about God. Therefore, forgiveness is all about God. Forgiveness is about glorifying him. And when we have this first, then everything else follows, even the good that comes to us when we forgive. Well, several years ago, it wasn't my math teacher who was my oppressor, um, but another culprit. In fact, you may know him. Um, his name is Taking Offense. And he crept silently into my life, and he took over. So here's what happened. This woman at church um, hurt me. And uh, so I responded back to her with hurt. And that grew into more anger and uh, me hurting her. And I started attributing all sorts of motives to her. Um, you know, because when you're at church and you see that person who has hurt you talking to other women, you know she's talking about you, right? Yeah. And, and every time you walk down the hallway and she looks at you, you know that's a glare, right? So I was attributing all sorts of motives to her. And after about a year of that kind of nonsense, I was just a ball of resentment. And my unforgiving heart was sapping me from all love that was genuine. Well, once I did finally forgive, I experienced a change that was very visible in my countenance. And I had an overwhelming love for other people. Um, I realized that I really had been harming myself with bitterness. I really had been poisoning myself. But if that change in me was the end-all, be-all, then, you know, I would have just been focusing on feeling better after forgiving her. But with my focus on God and not just on my personal relief, I was given a supernatural ability from God to love again. And I was even able to love this person who had hurt me and whom I had hurt as well. Only when my focus, only when our focus is on Christ's complete sacrifice and his forgiveness of me and my sins, can, can we really forgive other people? 
So lately I've been uh, meditating, as I've been preparing for this, I've been meditating this whole week on Luke 7. And you might remember the story. This is about um, when Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus into his house. Okay? And while Jesus is there, this sinful woman, they keep referring to her as this sinful woman, comes in. Okay? And she is weeping. And she's, she's behind Jesus. She's at his feet. And she's weeping. And her tears are just, you know, washing over Jesus' feet. And then she has this alabaster, fla- alabaster flask of oil that's fragrant, fragrant. And she is pouring it all over Jesus. She's anointing him. And Simon the Pharisee is aghast. He's like, oh, Jesus, do you not know what kind of woman this is? She's sinful. Do you know what she's done? And Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Now, I'm going to put this into our, our modern day language, okay? So, there's this banker, and two men owed this banker money. One owed him $500, one owed him $50. So, Jesus says to Simon, uh, oh, okay, so then Jesus says that the banker, neither man could, could pay his debt. So, Jesus, I'm, <laughs> now I'm getting all confused, I'm sorry. So, the banker uh, forgave both men their debt. So Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, who do you think loved that banker more? And of course, the Pharisee was able to see the answer. Well, of course, the one who had been forgiven more. And Jesus said, yeah, this woman, she knows her sins. She knows the the number of sins. That's why she loves me so much. And she has been forgiven much, therefore she can love much. Is this story about us feeling better? No, it's all about God. It's all about God. And, and because of what he has done, now I can forgive others. So, does everybody have their first points, blanks all filled in? Are we all good to go with that? All right, good. You can be honest if you missed one. I can, I can take a second. So let's move on to our second point. The world tells us that forgiveness is not just about us, but it's up to us. Okay, so Mahatma Gandhi says, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. And according to this popular mindset, we just need to tough it up, we need to man up, and we need to just forgive and get over it. So how does God's word compare to that? Okay, here's another familiar one perhaps to you. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love it when you guys are saying that with me. That's good. Um, So let's just contrast Gandhi's quote, okay? Jesus is quoted in 2 Corinthians 12.9, and he says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We can never have enough strength to escape our oppressors. They are unrelenting. Anger and bitterness and guilt don't just give up. They are intent on forcing us to ride the roller coaster of sin. And so only when we surrender our own works and strength to Christ's glorious work and strength will we see any freedom through forgiveness. Only when we surrender our work and strength to Christ's glorious work and strength will we see any freedom through forgiveness. So it seems kind of backward, right? I'm telling you that we need to surrender so that our oppressors will release us. But keep in mind, we're not surrendering to them, but rather we're surrendering to us fighting against them on our own. 
So instead of me just trying not to be guilty over that sinful past of mine, or instead of me just trying not to be angry or bitter at that person who has hurt me, instead of me just trying to be strong enough to forgive, rather I must allow or surrender to the Lord who fights for me. Surrender is about giving up, so that seems like that would be easy, right? But I'm sure many of us can attest to how tight of a grip we can have on unforgiveness when we've been hurt. It's not something that we can just let go of by our own power. So remember the story I was telling you about, the woman at church who had hurt me? Well, um, we had a major conflict. It wasn't just her hurting me. It was me hurting her back. And, and it got bad enough that the church leadership had to come to me and challenge me on my sin of unforgiveness. Um, I was breaking the unity in God's family, and they wanted us to reconcile. So um, that was hard. That was hard to hear, but I knew I needed to forgive her, and I knew that I needed to receive her forgiveness of me too, but I had no idea how to do this practically. And at this stage of the game, if you're in a similar kind of situation, at this stage of the game, this is when you need to seek out godly counsel. Okay, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And so you need to seek out godly counsel who will speak God's objective truth into you um, so that we can be steered away from our emotions. All right, because when you're in the thick of that, your emotions are way too loud. And so I did that. And my husband spoke truth into my life. And I also had a group of friends who were praying for me and, and spoke truth into my life. Uh, one of my friends is a real visual person, and she gave me an illustration. So she told me, picture a pumpkin, okay? So a pumpkin is full of all sorts of pumpkin stuff, right? The seeds and all the stringy stuff. Um, Well, there's no room for a light inside. But as a pumpkin is carved out and all the seeds are taken out and all that extra stuff is taken out, As it's emptied, then it has room for the light. The light can shine. And this was really helpful to me because I pictured myself being emptied out and then filled with the Holy Spirit every time my flesh rose up. When I knew I needed to forgive this woman, all I could think about was, but I'm right. She's wrong. Or... Um, Every time I was afraid that if I forgave her, then I would be giving her the pass, right? I would be excusing her. And so all of my flesh was rising up. Only when I would empty myself of me would there be more room for the Holy Spirit. When I had taken my sinful thoughts captive, God replaced them with more and more of him. So as I became less and less, I realized that forgiveness, any forgiveness and any love was from him and him alone. And it wasn't at all my doing or my strength. And that is precisely how God gets the glory. And that's how he got the glory of the day that this friend and I reconciled. Forgiveness is God's mighty work through weak vessels like you and me. So to recap, point number two. Specifically, Mahatma Gandhi says, The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. But God's word tells us that Jesus declares, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In weakness. So let's move along to point number three. And you know, um, many say that forgiving is a good thing to do. Once. 
But when we have to forgive and forgive and forgive again, well, that's just stupid. So the world says, as you can see on your handout, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right. So, you know, there may be some real genuine occasions when we may have to protect ourselves from being hurt again. Okay, like abuse situations. Um, But I would say that most of us, when we're having to forgive someone again and again and again, are probably not in that kind of a situation. We just want to employ common sense. We want to dispense our own justice when the challenge to forgive someone more than once arises. But what would Jesus say about that? We don't have to guess. We know because Peter asked him, and it's in Matthew 18, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And I just want to stop for a second because sometimes we read that very familiar passage and we think, up to seven times. Seven times? Are you kidding? Like seven times to forgive someone is hard enough. One time is hard enough, right? But, okay, so Peter says seven times. Jesus takes it a little bit further. He says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And in this hard saying comes a glorious and very freeing truth about forgiveness. If you turn your hand out over, I am going to have you fill in what I consider to be the crux of all forgiveness. At the top in that box, it'll say, forgiveness is a promise. Forgiveness is a promise to never again bring up the matter. One, to the person who hurt you. Two, to other people. And three, to ourselves. So forgiveness is a promise to never again bring up the matter to the person who hurt you, to other people, or to ourselves. So when we are forgiving someone, we are promising to never again bring up that person's offense to use against him again. This kind of forgiveness is modeled after God's own forgiveness of us. I know that our desire can be, you did it again. Will you never learn? But this doesn't show any mercy or any grace, and it doesn't reflect God's loving kindness or long-suffering toward us. I know that I am so grateful that every time I lose my battle with a quick temper, that God doesn't just give up on me and dredge up my past hurts and sins and, and just punish me on the spot with the silent treatment or by withholding his love for me. If we are earnest to say that we have forgiven once, then we're not bringing up that, that matter again when we're wronged again. If we are forgiving, if we're making the promise to not bring up the offense again, then each future wrongdoing is actually a new opportunity each time to forgive. We must not number or keep track because love keeps no record of wrongs. It can help to remember that if you, that if you have really forgiven that person, that it isn't the second time, it isn't the fifth time, it isn't the seventh time. If you are making a promise to never again bring up the matter again, then it's always the first time. So the world says, what does the world say, ladies? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And yet, God says, when we forgive, it's always the first time. So the fourth key point that we're going to look at today regarding biblical forgiveness is what the world says very commonly. It's that all familiar phrase, forgive and forget. That's right. 
So I wonder if some of us uh, withhold forgiveness because we know there's no way we'll ever be able to forget, right? Like we say, well, I still remember it. I must not have forgiven that person. Um, But, you know, sometimes, truth be told, I don't want to forget it because if I forget what they did, then I'm basically saying it's okay, and it wasn't. And also, boy, on top of all of that, I'm sure that we could list many horrific sins that have been done to people. You know, maybe even here, some of us have suffered uh, great abuse and hurt at the hands of another person. So I do not want to diminish the reality of that by saying, okay, just forgive and forget. This is what the world tells us to do, though, forgive and forget. And I want to tell you, it's not possible and it's not biblical. All right, so I already mentioned at the beginning of the session that um, forgiveness is a little more touchy than other subjects here today. And um, when something is emotional, I'm going to tell you this, it is really hard to forget it, okay? It's really hard to forget something that has an emotional element to it. So I'm going to do a little written exercise to show this point to you, okay? So at the top of your handout, um, I want you to write your name, I want you to write your address, and I want you to write your phone number. But while you're doing that, I don't want you to think about this thing up here on the table, if y'all could look. Um, I don't want you to think about this spider that's up here. So as you're writing your name, don't even, just forget about it. All right, so how many of you were successful with forgetting about that creepy spider? How many of you had a hard time forgetting about that creepy spider? Hello, it was right up here ready to eat me. Come on, people. (laughs) If you're scared of something, there is an emotional element, and all I could think about was the spider. (laughs) So, um, but, okay, maybe my, maybe I shouldn't use that illustration in the second session. (laughs) I hope I get a lot of arachnophobics. All right, so God is our example of true forgiveness. And and I want you to get this, ladies. God is not forgetful. A sovereign God in whom all things were created, who was before all things and in whom all things consist, does not simply forget. Rather, God says that he doesn't remember. Forgiveness is, or forgetfulness is something that we just can't help, right? Like, I forget where I put my keys all the time. Or I go upstairs and I forget, why did I come up here in the first place? Or you and me having a conversation and I forget what I was just talking about. All right, forgetfulness just, forgetfulness just is something we can't help. But not remembering is a purposeful act. Jeremiah 31, 34 tells us that God says this, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. To not remember a past hurt or a sin against me takes effort. I have to take that bitter thought captive as soon as it enters my brain, and I want to sit on it and stew. So this is what it looks like for me. So I'm going about my day, and I'm vacuuming, okay, and that's that mind-numbing task, right? So I empty my thoughts pretty much. I think I do anyway. So I'm vacuuming, and all of a sudden, my son's hurtful comment comes into my brain. 
Okay, so then I think about it, and I think about it a little bit more, and I think about it again, and I'm getting pretty angry now that he said that to me. And so then I start to um, uh, think, how, how dare he speak to me in such a way? And then I start remembering other past hurtful comments that he's made, and then the resentment starts pouring in, and, and I just keep thinking, he does not appreciate anything I do for him, does he? And so all of this is coming in. Those old familiar oppressors are just, are just sneaking into my heart and into my mind. You know, at first the anger and the hurt and the resentment, they can just be in there faster than I can even imagine. But to remember no more, which is what we promise when we forget, that looks more like this. So I'm going about my business, and my son's hurtful comment comes into my mind. And I stop. I don't even allow myself to even play with that thought a little bit. Because the longer I play with it, the harder it is to bring it back. And so I have to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. To the obedience of Christ. But I have to tell you that our hearts and our minds are like vacuums, and they don't stay empty for long. So we need to be proactive about this. We need to be filling our hearts and our minds with God's word, the truth, as well as the opposite behavior as what I am prone to do. Okay? So if I'm prone to stew and be angry as I'm thinking about how I've been hurt, then may I memorize that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Or if I'm one of those people that just wants to sit around and be bitter all day long, then kindness and forgiveness must replace the bitterness. Knowing Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, um, will remind me of God's truth so that I am more, uh, when I am more apt to rehearse my own version of the truth. Ladies, we need to spend more time speaking God's truth to us, to ourselves, rather than, than listening to ourselves. And this is all very purposeful. Choosing not to remember. Stopping my mind's tape recordings. And knowing and rehearsing God's truth, the ultimate truth. Those are all very purposeful. And we need to be proactive in doing that. Because remember, forgiveness is a promise to not remember another person's offense. By bringing it back up to him, by talking about it with other people, or by rehearsing it again and again to ourselves. So the world says, forgive and forget, but God says, forgiveness means not remembering. Now the final aspect of forgiveness that we're going to discuss today has to do with the end goal of forgiveness. And the world says that the end goal of forgiveness is forgiveness. You forgive, and you move on. But God intends for so much more than that. Freedom through forgiveness does not happen when we merely say, oh, I've forgiven her. And yet reconciliation or unity has not occurred on some level. Without reconciliation of relationships, there will always be a screen door left open, and bitterness and offense and criticism will come buzzing back in. God's end goal in forgiving others is reconciliation. And that's the reconciliation of relationships, first and foremost being the relationship between God and man. When we believe that God has forgiven our most vile sins, all of them, all of our sins, through the work of his son Jesus Christ on the cross, then we can be assured of this great fact that we are his and we belong to him and we have been forgiven. 
I absolutely love the passage Colossians 1. I will bring this into every talk I talk about, and I am successful in doing that today. So I want to tell you, Colossians 1, hmm, 21 through 23, it is is the gospel in a nutshell. It, um, It vividly describes who we were and who we are now because of Christ's mighty work on the cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel in which you heard. We were separated from God because of our sins. And he forgave us. And now we are reconciled to him through Jesus. And this is freedom. And this is a pattern for why we forgive. To restore relationships. I don't simply forgive just to forgive and move on, but to bring about unity. The key for this to happen is repentance. Our repentance is evidence that we are rejecting the sin that we once held so tightly to, the sin that we once coddled and loved and excused. But ladies, if you have confessed your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are free. We are not in bondage to our sin, to our oppressors, because God has freed us through forgiveness brought about by Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father here on earth, and his perfect obedience or righteousness is given to us when we believe him as Lord, when we confess him as Lord. We no longer have to prove ourselves in order to be valuable or worthy, because Jesus has given us his worth. There is great freedom through Jesus' work, through his forgiveness. Okay, we do not have to earn man's favor We do not have to earn man's favor. And we do not have to work to earn God's acceptance. This is what Cindy talked about this morning. We do not have to work to earn God's acceptance. This is God's amazing grace. And when we understand this and walk out in this promise, so much changes. Guilt from our past no longer binds us and steals our joy. And fear of the future no longer paralyzes us. And we will not live as women who are easily offended because we will know that we are forgiven and accepted in Christ. And because of this truth, we can forgive others freely and have the same purpose as God, reconciliation or unity. Jesus tells us in the parable of the unforgiving servant that we are to forgive because we have been forgiven. And our reconciliation with the holy God through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, is why we must seek reconciliation with other people. I'm going to uh, skip ahead just a little bit because I see that I'm running short on time. So I just want to summarize point number five. The world's end goal is forgiveness. God's end goal is reconciliation. And this is reconciliation between God and man and man and others. Handling unforgiveness and unreconciled relationships in God's way will secure true change. But if we persist in our own understanding of how things should be handled, we are leaving ourselves wide open for attacks from those old oppressors 
who were never properly dealt with. But as we depend more and more upon God, we will become victorious over our sins. We will live in freedom through forgiveness. Galatians 5.1 is on your handout, I believe. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So as we have dug into the word and examined the great need to forgive others, how are you going to leave here today? and apply this biblical knowledge? How are, how are we going to wisely use God's word so that we can not only just forgive, but remain free in that forgiveness? So I want us to, I want to just kind of wrap up by having us all think about a situation. Maybe it's a past situation that you were hurt, and it was never resolved. Or maybe it's something you're going through currently. I want you to be thinking about that situation. And I'm going to go through these five points. And I want you to kind of apply those points, God's viewpoint, on biblical forgiveness to those situations. All right. So think about whatever situation you're going through. As you look at point number one, you can remember that forgiveness is all about God. So as you are taking yourself and your thoughts, not, not just thinking inwardly, but thinking upwardly, you can start to get your mind off of the hurt and off of the anger and off of those things that are oppressing us and more onto this is about God and he's good. And he says that he works all things for good to those who love him. And so I can trust that he's got a bigger plan in mind here than what I can see. And, and as you think about your situation and we look at point number two, remember, boy, when you're hurt and when you're going through something, harder than any words can even describe. You have no strength. Stop trying to do this on your own strength. This is only through the power of God. And then as we look at point number three, the situation that you're thinking of might be an ongoing situation. You are, you are having to forgive someone over and over and over again. But just remember that when you forgive, it is a promise to never again bring up that matter against that person or against other people, or to, or to talk about it with other people, or to think about it over and over to your, in your mind. And so as you are taking that captive, as you're taking that desire to, um, to not forgive again and again, remember what forgiveness is, it's that promise. And because of that promise, I can purposefully not remember what was done against me. I mean, we are so blessed to have 1 Peter 4, 8 for us. It's just such a practical, everyday verse. Love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, we are sinned against all the time. Out on the road we're sinned against. Probably in the hallway we were sinned against. And so let's let love cover a multitude of sins, all right, and not be so easily offended by things. And then finally, as we look at point number five, this is, this is the most important point. Let's seek to restore unity with the person who has hurt us. Reconciliation is the end goal. And if reconciliation has not occurred, then forgiveness is not complete. Now, I'm running out of time, but there are instances when the other person is not repentant. And we are limited in our forgiveness when that happens. And I am happy to talk about that with you um, if, if you would like to talk after the session is over. We need to remember it's the Holy Spirit's work in that person, and we can trust that he is at work, and we can trust that God will be at work in our hearts to keep 
us free from malice in the meantime. Remember, ladies, forgiveness is impossible on our own, but we're not left without power. In 2 Peter 1, we're told that the, the same divine power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And that same power is how we will be truly free through forgiveness. So we only have a couple minutes, but does anybody have any questions that you would like me to address before we um, pray for our lunch? I'd love to be able to address something. Uh, to the person who has hurt you. So forgiveness is a promise never again. Bring up that matter to, one, the person who hurt you, uh, two, other people, and three, yourself. I hope all your blanks are filled in. Does anybody have any um, other questions? Yes. Yeah, really for that, um, I want you to think about the current situation that you're in or um, perhaps a past situation that was never dealt with. And I want you to apply the points that we talked about today. Um, How can you change those? How can you change that situation? Maybe just take your own notes for that. So thank you. Okay, so wow. So much to think about here. I have to ask myself some questions. And I really mean I'm asking myself these questions. Maybe you want to ask them too. I need to, I need to think. Am I letting bitterness run me like a wild roller coaster? You know, pushing me forward, away from others, and in a different direction than I want to go. Am I feeling trapped by taking offense at what others are doing or attributing motives to someone else? Like, I'm sure that she thought that. Because inside, I'm sure that's what she was thinking, even though you and I both know we can't know what someone's thinking. Am I living as a forgiven person? Have I actually asked God to forgive me of my sin? And then am I choosing to forgive others around me? Forgiveness is definitely a challenging thing for most people. Maybe I should say all people. It is not something that's easy to do, and it is not something that we can do on our own. We need the help of Jesus Christ to truly and honestly forgive. I want to end today with a small passage out of Colossians 3. It's one of my favorites, and I think it will be a great way to end our time together. Colossians 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly in you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That was Colossians 3, 12 through 17. What a great way to remember that we have to put on forgiveness. I encourage you today to put on forgiveness. All right, let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of forgiveness that you give to us when we ask. That although we are wretched sinners, you are God who sees beyond and you forgive us of our sin, even though we do not deserve your forgiveness. Help each woman listening and myself to diligently work on forgiving those around us. When we've been hurt or we have assigned motives or whatever reason that we are feeling bad, give us the ability to be forgiving to others. Give us the strength. We know it can only come from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll join us next week as we are going to be talking about how you and I can be joyful and specifically how we can be joyful in our motherhood. I hope you'll join us for that. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time. Thank you.